Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hit play and feel the real with Bose QuietComfort Ultra Earbuds. Breakthrough immersive audio makes all your music feel more natural than ever by taking it out of your head and placing it just in front of you like listening without wearing earbuds at all. And the high-fidelity audio and world-class noise cancellation are tailored to your ears only. So everything's personalized and hits just as it should. Bose QuietComfort Ultra Earbuds. Dive in deeper at Bose.com forward slash iHeart. Seeing is believing. And you're not going to believe how bright and vivid the colors are on the Samsung Neo QLED and OLED TVs powered by the Neural Quantum Processor. Because this is an audio ad. Unless you can see it, which means you already have one. Nice. Samsung, more wow than ever. Dive into true crime on Pluto TV. Unravel the mysteries on Forensic Files. And investigate crimes with 48 hours and Dateline 24-7. With thousands of free crime movies and TV shows, Pluto TV is the true home of crime. Download the Pluto TV app on all your favorite devices and start streaming true crime on live channels and on demand. Pluto TV. Stream now. Pay never. It's never too early to prepare your e-commerce business for the holiday rush. Whether you're shipping from your house or a warehouse, you'll want ShipStation when the orders roll in. ShipStation lets you automate shipping tasks and manage orders from one dashboard. And with enterprise solutions and discounted rates from USPS, UPS, DHL, and Global Post, it scales when you do. Set your business up for holiday success with ShipStation. Go to ShipStation.com leaders today and sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com leaders. If you've always dreamed of exploring the world, Road Scholar welcomes you. Road Scholar offers educational travel adventures for adults 50-plus in more than 100 countries and throughout the United States. When you travel with Road Scholar, you'll be an active learner, not a passive tourist. Every day is thoughtfully planned to open your eyes to new discoveries, ideas, and people. You'll learn from local experts and meet others who share your passions. Find your next adventure at roadscholar.org iHeart. Before we begin, please note, 
This series includes talk of suicide and sexual violence. Please take care while listening. So I guess we can start driving now. So we'll just meet you there in okay. 10 minutes or however sure. long it takes. Okay. So I'm just in the car now. Last night, the family gave me Sandy's coat that she had with her the night that she died. And so I'm feeling a great weight of responsibility. I'm, I'm taking the coat with me. And we're gonna go to the cemetery this morning. Sandy's body's not there, but there is a marker for her. And I'm just popping in the address. Rolling. Yeah. Okay, so tell us where we are. We're at Greenwood Cemetery. Um, it's, I think it's the largest one in Jonesport because there's probably like 10 cemeteries here. And we are in um, our, our family cemetery for many generations, many centuries. And um, we're about to walk to where Sandy's memorialized. That's interesting. I wonder what the pennies are. Is that just to show that you've been here? I wonder what, does anyone know what pennies are put on there for? The first time I met Kim and she told me about Sandy, I don't think she imagined her cousin's story would become the subject of an entire podcast. A year went by before I asked her if she would be willing to embark on this project together. I couldn't do it without her buy-in. And Kim, she was immediately 100% a yes, which I thought was pretty brave. Because when you invite a journalist into your life, you're opening yourself up to a lot of questioning, not all of which is comfortable or feels natural. Kim was allowing me to scrutinize her long-held belief that Sandy was murdered. She was essentially giving me permission to check her work and risking the prospect of being proven wrong. Early on in the process, she invited me to come to Maine to meet the whole family, and to crash a big birthday party for one of her relatives who was turning 80. This trip, it was an intense two full days of interviews. For hours at a time, I sat down with members of the Beale family, and like an investigative reporter does, I peppered them with questions, trying to establish the basic undisputed facts of the case. And a lot of these questions were directed at Kim, as she was my conduit to the family and the one who had spent the most time investigating Sandy's death on her own. The final day of my trip, we drove to the cemetery where Sandy has a grave marker. I only had a few minutes before my flight back, but I wanted to get Kim's temperature after a long and emotionally grueling weekend. I'm still processing it. It was, it was definitely different to dredge it all back up. Your, the questions that you were asked, I was like, whoa, I've never thought about those things before. And then some of the things that we came up with that I thought were solid evidence. And <laughs> now we got to figure out what it means and what it all was. But that was a little disturbing. But the questions you asked were, were pretty, uh, they, caught, they caught me by surprise. I have more questions than I thought I did, and I'll send them to you. I'm yeah. trusting that it's all going to unfold and we'll get the answers that we need to help bring some closure for them. 
Well, for me too. I'm so glad you guys came up here. I can't believe you'd come to Jonesport, Maine and do this. From iHeartRadio, I'm Melissa Jeltson, and this is What Happened to Sandy Beal, an iHeart original podcast. Chapter 6. Divided Minds. When I first met the Beals in Maine, I made them a promise that I would keep an open mind and follow the evidence and I wouldn't be swayed by one side or the other. It was clear from the get-go that there were two opposing sides here, minds so divided that there was very little agreement on what the most basic facts meant. The Prince George's County Police Department and the Beale family had examined the exact same documents, dissected the exact same set of facts, and come to wildly divergent conclusions about what happened to Sandy. As a pair of fresh eyes on the case, I wondered whether both sides were trapped in their own cycles of confirmation bias, processing the information in a way that aligned with their own preconceived ideas. Like the cardboard under the wheels of Sandy's car. The Beals interpreted it as a sign that Sandy was trying to leave the pole yard on the night of her death and wasn't planning to die by suicide. But this detail was not even remembered by Detective Shishelsky. It didn't register as important because it didn't fit neatly into his theory. We each are bringing our own experiences, our own beliefs, our own desires to the table so that when two people with different mindsets are given the same information to look at, by virtue of their different brains, they may interpret those things in very different ways. Jeff Kakuka is a professor of psychology at Towson University. He's an expert on how bias can influence decision-making, including in investigations. In psychology, when we talk about bias, what we're talking about is kind of like a reflex. It's something that our brains do without us even realizing that we're doing it. Once you have a conclusion in mind, um, you're no longer sort of taking in all the information and evaluating it in an objective way. Instead, what tends to happen is people will selectively seek out information that fits their existing beliefs. And if they encounter any information that goes against their existing beliefs, they'll either ignore it or find a way to somehow minimize its importance so that they can, again, sort of continue preserving that belief that existed in the first place. There's an adage that I've thought about a lot while making this podcast. It's called Hanlon's Razor, and it goes like this. Never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. There's a few different versions of the phrase, and sometimes incompetence is subbed for stupidity. This proverb, it's a helpful reminder not to immediately assume the worst intentions in the actions of others. That more often than not, people are careless or selfish rather than mean-spirited or evil. Of course malice exists, but if you look for it everywhere, you could risk having a distorted perception of reality. Take, for instance, Sandy's original death certificate, issued on February 18, 1977. It was given to Joanne back then and has remained in her possession ever since. At the bottom of the page, there's a line where the medical examiner must indicate the manner of death, choosing between natural causes, homicide, 
suicide, accident, or undetermined. You would expect the box for suicide to be checked, but it's not. Instead, there's an X through the box undetermined manner of death. It was always an odd inconsistency that bothered the family. And a few years ago, it got even weirder. Kim requested a new copy of Sandy's death certificate. When she received the document, she was startled to find that the box for suicide now had an X2. Kim's immediate impression was that the records might have been altered to fit with the police's story. And it's entirely possible that the medical examiner's office colluded with the police to cover up her death. But the possibility also exists that it's just a typo, that the medical examiner initially stamped the wrong box and fixed it later. Incompetence or malice? That's the thing is these biases are so pervasive that they can affect every aspect of our decision-making without even us realizing that it's happening. We have these beliefs and our brain is wired in such a way that leads us to pursue information that agrees with our beliefs rather than pursuing information that might prove us wrong. Because who likes to be proven wrong? There's no sign of identity theft slowing down. And why should it? More than $29 billion were stolen from identity theft victims last year alone. To cybercriminals, it's a success story. To the rest of us, it's a wake-up call. Your personal info is in more places now than ever, and all that exposure can make it dangerously easy to steal your identity. LifeLock makes it easy to help protect yourself by monitoring your identity and alerting you to threats you could miss on your own. And if you do become a victim of identity theft, a U.S.-based LifeLock restoration specialist will be dedicated to your case and will work to fix it. Don't wait to get LifeLock identity theft protection. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save 25% your first year. LifeLock. Identity theft protection starts here. A brand new historical true crime podcast. The year is 1800. City Hall, New York. The first murder trial in the American judicial system. A man stands trial for the charge of murder. Even with defense lawyers Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr on the case, this is probably the most famous trial you've never heard of. When you lay suffering a sudden, violent, brutal death, I hope you'll think of me. Starring Allison Williams. I don't need anything simplified, Mr. Hamilton. Thank you. With Tony Goldwyn as Alexander Hamilton. Don't be so sad, Catherine. It doesn't suit you. Written and created by me, Allison Flock. What are you doing? Let go of me! Listen to Erased, the murder of Elma Sands. She was a sweet, happy, virtuous girl. No! No! Until she met that man right there. On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. When Tracy Raquel Burns was two years old, her baby brother died. I was told that Matthew died in an accident, and no one really talked about it. Her parents told police she had killed him. Medical records said that I killed my baby brother. I'm Nancy Glass. Join me for Burden of Guilt. 
the new podcast that tells the true and incredible story of a toddler who was framed for murder and how she grew into an adult determined to get justice and protect her family. While we had prosecuted some cold cases, this was the coldest, this was frigid. But how does a two-year-old get blamed for murder? She said, we wanted a new life. You just don't know what it's like when you'll do anything for somebody. Listen to Burden of Guilt on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I noticed Jacob is not in his crib. So I look in Sarah's room. She's not there. So I'm like, okay, they're not there. Unrestorable is a new true crime podcast that investigates the case of Catherine Hoggle, a mother accused of murder. I'm thinking, you know, like, what's going on? Like, this is insane. Like, where are my kids? Despite signs that Catherine Hoggle took her tiny children one by one into the night, never to come home again, she has yet to stand trial. Because soon after her children went missing, she was declared incompetent to stand trial. We have a blueprint to get away with murder in the state of Maryland at this point. In Maryland, if a defendant is found incompetent and can't be restored to competency, their felony charges are dismissed after five years. So as the clock counts down, Catherine's charges on the verge of being dismissed. What does justice look like in this case? Something's wrong here, you know, whenever a woman's allowed to kill my two kids. Listen to Unrestorable on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear the show completely ad-free, subscribe to the iHeart True Crime Plus channel, available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. Plus, you'll get ad-free access to dozens of hit true crime shows, like Paper Ghosts, Betrayal, and The Idaho Massacre. Head into Safeway for great deals throughout the store. This week at Safeway, get value packs of USDA Choice Boneless Beef Tri-Tip Roast or 16 to 20 count bags of Waterfront Bistro Extra Jumbo Raw Shrimp for $3.97 per pound with digital coupon limit two packages. Plus, get two pound packages of large strawberries for the member price of $4.99 each. Also this week at Safeway, get Signature Farms 90% Lean Ground Beef or 16 ounce packages of Genio Ground Turkey Varieties. Buy one, get one free. Visit Safeway.com or head in store for more deals. It's understandable why Kim and the rest of the Beale family was suspicious of Prince George's County Police. Because the investigation into Sandy's death was tainted by a clear conflict of interest. Sandy was a police trainee, and her car was filled with evidence linking her to local cops. And if PG County police officers were willing to cover up their sexual misconduct, what other wrongdoing were they capable of? If Shashelsky could forget the cardboard, what other inconvenient facts might have evaded his memory? Without trust in the police, the Beals were skeptical of everything they were told. And this is where I thought I could be of help. I wanted to bring in some unbiased experts to try to recreate what happened that night in the pole yard, inserting some impartiality into Sandy's case. That's how I met Paul Uribe, a certified forensic pathologist who has worked for the U.S. Army as well as local and state agencies. He told me he's performed over 1,500 autopsies in his career, and hundreds of those have been suicides. I gave him the rundown on Sandy's case. 
the keys in the ignition and the cardboard under the wheels uh, while she's in the mud that might indicate that Sandy had been trying to leave the location that she was at. How do you interpret this kind of information in the context of a suicide? I would lump that in with, okay, what's the timeline? What happened in the hours before her death, you know, even, you know, going back like 24 hours. Why was she there? Who was she meeting with? Who did she have relations with? You know, and that would answer the question, you know, why are there cardboard under the tires? All these questions he's asking, they're great ones. We don't have answers to them, though, because PG County Police closed the case before establishing these facts. That, on its face, isn't necessarily suspect, Paul said. Is every death investigated to the absolute extreme of pushing the investigation as far as we can, interviewing absolutely everyone possible, and you know, doing a full court press on every case? No, and that's just that's that's largely a matter of resources and resource allocation. This reminded me of what Detective Shashelsky told me about how overworked and understaffed he was back in the 1970s. I mean, they put us like dogs. They really did. Shashelsky told me that his immediate read of the scene was that of a suicide. There was ample evidence of it, he said. And one of the biggest factors was the gun. If it was a homicide, if it was a murder, first off, I don't think the killer would have left the gun there, number one. Then... When I found out the gun belonged to her father, it's not likely that someone would have murdered her with her father's gun. But from the Beals' perspective, the gun is the most important piece of evidence that proves Sandy didn't die by suicide. The gun isn't abstract to them. It was returned to the family after Sandy's death. Sandy's brothers have shot it. They know the power it takes, the kickback after you pull the trigger. And based on their personal experience, they came to believe she couldn't have shot herself with it. Not that Sandy wouldn't, although they also believe that, but that she couldn't. That the physical evidence just didn't line up. Here's Michael and Steven. The thing about that gun, it was a 357, <clears throat> and it was a long gun, long barrel right yeah, uh, gun. And when that damn thing kicked, when you shot that thing, it kicked. I mean, it had a, a kick to it. So she would have to use two hands in order to shoot it. Yeah. And the trigger wasn't a hair trigger either. It had a couple of pounds of pull. Yeah. So um, that's the other thing, you know, that kind of got me about why they said she would shoot herself. Because if she was able to manage that, that friggin' gun would have shot off, would have taken off right through the side glass window. And Kim shared this opinion that it was impossible Sandy shot herself. And when I met with the Prince George's County Police, they were so insistent on, you just don't understand. We've seen lots of things like that. And I finally just said, if you can prove to me through ballistics and show me the trajectory and all the opportunities that this was suicide, then I'll believe you. But not until then. All your evidence completely um, goes against the evidence that I have. She did not commit suicide. Listening to Detective Shashelsky and the Beale family, I was faced with two different interpretations of the same evidence. And so I asked Paul for his opinion, and he turned my attention to Sandy's hands. 
when you fire a revolver, especially a 357 Magnum, there's a loud, a lot of gunpowder that explodes. And a lot of that gunpowder comes out through what's called a cylinder gap. So say if you have your hand over that cylinder gap or even adjacent to it, when you discharge it, you can get, you know, soot on your hand that way. Both of Sandy's hands had gunpowder on them, according to the police report. Paul said he would interpret this to mean that Sandy was either holding the gun or had her hands very close to it when it was fired. So would it be possible to have soot on your hands and not have been the one to pull the trigger if you were in a small, enclosed environment? It could be, like if you were grabbing for the gun to push it away or something like that. I've done cases where two people are struggling for a gun and the gun goes off and it's very difficult to tell who, you know, who pulled the trigger because they both might've had their finger on the trigger or someone had their finger on the trigger and the other person, you know, is grabbing their hand to try and either keep them from pulling the, usually to keep them from pulling the trigger. Paul pointed out that Sandy was also shot at very close range, which is characteristic of a suicide. Now, if it's a contact wound, it's either one of two things. Either you know the person put the gun to their head and pulled the trigger. In this case, put the gun to, you know, she put the gun to her abdomen and pulled the trigger. Or someone else put the gun to her abdomen and pulled the trigger. And then that's where, okay, we're looking for, we're looking for other evidence to support that or rule that out. So I can tell you the range, I can tell you the trajectory, I can tell you what it injured, I can tell you, you know, I can give you maybe a little estimate of survivability, maybe. So I, I can tell you all of those things, but I can't tell you who shot it. I asked him about the lack of fingerprints on the gun. Turns out, Paul didn't find this that unusual. Firearms are notoriously hard to test for prints. One study estimated that fingerprints are recovered from firearms only about 13% of the time. And that's nowadays. Uh, because of, say, you know, the texture on the handle or, you know, just a partial print at a odd location of the gun, they, they might not be able to get it. And, and I would also have to know, okay, what is the fingerprinting policies and procedures of the Prince George's County Police Departments circa 1977. And, you know, did they follow that procedure? Reading the autopsy report, Sandy's gunshot wound is described in excruciating and impersonal detail. Quote, the wound is slightly ovoid, a quarter inch in diameter, and is surrounded by an eighth inch rim of abrasion resembling muzzle imprint. Powder is noted in the wound margins. I asked Paul, Based on everything that's in the autopsy and the police report, and taking into consideration the family's significant questions, if it was possible that Sandy shot herself. If you put your hand right at the base of your rib cage or base of your sternum, move it over about three inches to you know, the bottom of your rib margin, that's where the entrance was. Now, once again, if she were to do this herself, she could fire the gun essentially holding the handle of the gun with her gun with her with her left thumb on the trigger, which is sort of like holding it backwards essentially, which is consistent with her kind of holding her left hand across her body, so to speak, and then 
likely firing the gun with her thumb on the trigger. And that could also explain why they didn't find any fingerprints on the gun as well. Paul could see a scenario in which Sandy shot herself and caused the injuries described in her autopsy. What had been unthinkable to the Beals was a real probability to Paul. Still, he admitted that the case was unusual. How many times in your career, if you remember, have you seen a teenage girl shoot herself? Handful. Probably less than five. Ever in the abdomen? No. A brand new historical true crime podcast. The year is 1800. City Hall, New York. The first murder trial in the American judicial system. A man stands trial for the charge of murder. Even with defense lawyers Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr on the case, this is probably the most famous trial you've never heard of. When you lay suffering a sudden, violent, brutal death, I hope you'll think of me. Starring Allison Williams. I don't need anything simplified, Mr. Hamilton. Thank you. With Tony Goldwyn as Alexander Hamilton. Don't be so sad, Catherine. It doesn't suit you. Written and created by me, Allison Flock. What are you doing? Let go of me! Listen to Erased, the murder of Elma Sands. She was a sweet, happy, virtuous girl. No! No! Until she met that man right there. On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Curiosity Stream is the streaming service for people who want to know more. And now check out Curiosity's new series, Queens of Ancient Egypt. When pharaohs held the throne, their wives held the power. We see her taking precedence over the pharaoh, an absolute mastermind. All hail the queens. This is unprecedented. Watch Queens of Ancient Egypt now on Curiosity Stream with monthly, annual, and bundled plans. Find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com. Curiosity Stream is the streaming service for people who want to know more. And now check out Curiosity's new series, The Real Wild West. Rolling Stone magazine says it's the history of the West they usually don't teach you. The mythology of the West left out a lot of the people. People said they'd never seen a black cowboy. This is the history book, but did you know about these other facts? Watch The Real Wild West now on Curiosity Stream. With monthly, annual, and bundled plans, find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com. This Christmas, what if gift giving looked different? What if your gifts could make a life-changing, long-lasting, joyful impact on your loved ones and for others? With World Vision, your generosity can make a big impact and grow God's kingdom here on earth. Gifts found in our gift catalog will empower children and families out of poverty for good. Discover how you can help change lives this Christmas at worldvision.org forward slash gifts that grow. Delavie Sciences brings you skincare that's backed by science. Ionia age-defying skincare contains their patented ingredient that boosts hyaluronic acid and activates repair enzymes to diminish fine lines and wrinkles, improve skin elasticity, and even out your skin tone. It's clinically tested, scientifically proven, and dermatologist approved. Visit DelavieSciences.com. That's D-E-L-A-V-I-E Sciences.com. Promo code OFFER20 for a 20% discount. DelavieSciences.com. Promo code OFFER20 for 20% off. The stories Sandy's family tell about her 
emphasized her sense of humor and her protective instincts. She was quick to speak her mind and stand up for herself. Her family knew her to be cheerful, focused, hardworking. She was a well-adjusted kid who they trusted. And based on their knowledge of her, as a daughter and a sister and a cousin, they didn't believe Sandy would take her own life. It was incomprehensible to them. It didn't match the person they knew. But during this reporting, I found out a lot of things they didn't know about Sandy. Things that were happening in her life. And as painful as it is to contemplate now, there's probably a lot they didn't know about how she was feeling. Sandy died surrounded by police paraphernalia. Her dashboard held a shift schedule card, a duty rig, and newspaper clippings about cops. And she was found in a location where cops like to gather. Her family believed that she was protected in the presence of police. But I think it's more likely that all that time she spent hanging out with them was actually an opportunity for abuse. From what I've discovered, it seems obvious that at least some police officers took advantage of Sandy, pursuing inappropriate sexual relationships with the teenager. And in this climate, Sandy became pregnant and had an abortion, in secret. If she was being mistreated by police, then I imagine she would have felt very alone, possibly scared, and she probably didn't know how to make it stop. Sandy kept these painful parts of her life hidden. She presented to the outside world as fine. And to her family, this was strong evidence that she couldn't have died by suicide because they didn't see it coming. Their assumption about suicide was that if Sandy had been considering it, her pain would have been so visible it could not go unnoticed. But that's not always the case. If you think about human nature, what makes it up? Purpose, meaning, contribution, and connection. Thomas Joyner is a researcher at Florida State University. He spends his days researching ways to prevent suicide. It's a deep puzzle about human nature about why this would happen. The Beals have not been able to answer this. Why Sandy would have thought that this was the best option for her. And this question is the subject of Thomas's research, which explores what's happening in the minds of people who are suicidal. If you become that convinced that you're a burden on other people, and if you feel like you're um, disconnected and cut off, ostracized, alienated, if you feel those two things deeply, and then also permanently, that they're, they're intractable, that they're, they'll never change, that, that mixture is the danger zone where people might take their lives. Of those who find themselves in this dangerous zone, of feeling deeply alienated, a burden to others, and convinced that those feelings will never change, not all attempt suicide. The vast majority of people who experience suicidal ideation do not act on it. To put it in perspective, around 46,000 people die from suicide every year in the U.S. About a million more attempt it, and many, many more, around 12 million people, seriously think about it. It's one thing to talk about death in the abstract, but to actually face it in reality, totally different matter. 
not everybody has the requisite fearlessness, pain tolerance, even practical knowledge to have the capacity to even enact suicide, even if they really genuinely desire to do so. Did Sandy have those things? I know she had access to a gun, her father's, and her brother Michael actually told me that he'd seen Sandy take it on a few occasions. Sandy said she was borrowing the gun for target practice. So it follows that Sandy would have known how to use it. And suicide as a form of death, of course, is is fearsome and scary and daunting. And so to face it fully, to stare it down, you need a capacity to do that. Not everybody has it. I told Thomas about the Beals' vivid memory of Sandy as a happy, high-functioning teenager. Sometimes it does look like that. Suicide does look sudden. What does that mean? Does it mean it, it was truly impulsive? Or might it mean, for example, that the person was very successful in concealing their ongoing misery and planning? And I think it's the latter. I think it's clearly the latter, but there is debate about that. And, and that, that can hurt to the loved ones. You know, it seems like she would have told us, you know, we're the family, we're the loved ones. But a way to understand that is that she felt maybe that this was a, a profound burden that she's carrying, that she's a burden to everybody. She felt that maybe on the inside to share that with others, in her view, might have further burdened them. A sudden death in anyone, is is a tragedy. And and it doesn't matter what the cause was. That's going to grieve families and and trouble families for years or even decades. And then to add the additional layer of, it it wasn't just an accident or an illness. They took their own lives. That hurt. That that really hurt. And, And I don't think it need be very different than a car accident or, or a heart attack. But to, to get to that place, you have to have a, a particular understanding of, of the suicidal mindset that most people, most families don't have. I asked Thomas what to make of the fact that Sandy had plans for the future. She was moving to Maine. She was actively pursuing a career in law enforcement. Even her abortion could be considered a sign that she was thinking ahead, planning for the life she wanted. She was still balancing her checkbook right before she died. If you have plans, it, it either means that uh, suicide's not on your mind at all. It can mean that. Or if you have plans, it can mean that there's a struggle going on in your mind, a, an argument, a debate between death and life, an ambivalence that's going back and forth, tilting back and forth. And when it tilts toward death, planning for future activities ceases pretty much and planning for suicide kicks in. And then when it tilts back towards the other side of the ambivalence towards life, then you might, you know, put the suicide planning on the shelf, so to speak, and and kick in plans for activities. And so most go through this ambivalence process than most or all. We'll have plans for tomorrow, plans for next week, just like anyone else will. It's a striking concept that someone could be planning their life one minute, then end it the next. 
and it made me think once more about the cardboard under Sandy's tires. Could Sandy have been experiencing a struggle in her mind, feeling ambivalence between life and death? Maybe at some point she was planning on leaving the pole yard until she made a new plan. I told all of this to Kim, what I learned from Thomas about suicide, and what I gleaned from Paul, who reviewed Sandy's autopsy with me. And she listened, took in all the facts with a gentle smile and a deferential nod. It was something she would need to think about, she told me. So we casually said goodbye, and I expected to hear from her soon. And I did, because as I've been reporting this story, Kim has relentlessly continued her own parallel investigation. Every time I spoke to her, she had her sights set on something new, a new document to obtain or piece of evidence to examine. On her list of critical items to track down was Sandy's full medical file, which was held at the medical examiner's office in Maryland. Kim left me this voice memo after her last visit there. Okay, it is... I think the 22nd at three o'clock, I just left the uh, medical examiner's office. And when I got there, it was like, God just opened the doors because the door just opened and she's like, okay, come on in. So I got right up to the fourth floor and um, this really nice lady named Linda, and she was just most helpful and um, called the medical records. Medical records were familiar with my name already, which was kind of cool. You know, and I was showing her, oh, I have the autopsy report. I don't need the autopsy report. I need the medical records. I need slides. I need anything else in there that could help me get this case reopened. Although she already had Sandy's autopsy, she knew it was only part of the file on her cousin's death. She wanted to see what else she might be able to discover hidden in the depths of the archives. Specifically, she was looking for biological evidence, the sperm that was collected from Sandy's body, to see if it could be tested for DNA. And she was looking for photos, which she hoped would offer new insight into Sandy's death. And after about a half hour, Mike came out and um, very nice guy. He's retired firefighter, retired vet from Army. He said for sure for any DNA, I'm going to have to get a subpoena. There's absolutely no way around it. Um, He said there's probably going to be pictures in there. So that's where we stand. He was very helpful. I know he'll help me. I think I've got their hmm, curiosity intrigued anyway. So I do feel like they're going to help me. Her ultimate goal was to stumble onto something, anything, that might get Sandy's case reopened, forcing Prince George's County to take a deeper look. So I don't know. If we could just get them to open it, that would be really awesome. I don't likely see that happening because they're pretty convinced that this is a suicide. Reopening the case would mean that it would be considered an active investigation again. It would mean that the police might interview Doug or test the sperm or track down the cops that supervised Sandy in the Explorer program so many years ago. Anyway, that's where we stand. It was a good meeting. Um, We'll see. Kim flew back to Texas with a new agenda of trying to get a subpoena to retrieve and test the DNA in Sandy's file. But before she could follow through, she received an email. 
It was from Bernie Nelson, a cold case detective from Prince George's County. He wanted to meet Kim in person to talk. I asked if I could tape the conversation and PG County said no, but Kim met with him and that meeting changed everything. So this is 11 o'clock on Monday morning. He asks, um, so how did all this podcast stuff happen? We've talked a lot about suicide this episode. If you or someone you know is considering self-harm, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or text STRENGTH to Crisis Text Line at 741-741. What Happened to Sandy Beal is hosted by me, Melissa Jeltson. It's written and produced by me and Katrina Norvell. The podcast is edited by Abu Safar, sound designed by Aaron Kaufman, Jason English is our executive producer, research and production assistance by Marissa Brown. To find out more about my investigation, follow me on Twitter at Quasimado. That's Q-U-A-S-I-M-A-D-O. Thanks so much for listening. A brand new historical true crime podcast. When you lay suffering a sudden, brutal death. Starring Allison Williams. I hope you'll think of me. Erased. The murder of Elma Sands. She was a sweet, happy, virtuous girl. Until she met that man right there. Written and created by me, Allison Vlock. Is it possible, sir? We're standing by for your answer. Erased. The murder of Elma Sands. On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. When Tracy Raquel Burns was two years old, her baby brother died. I was told that Matthew died in an accident. Her parents told police she had killed him. I'm Nancy Glass. Join me for Burden of Guilt, the new podcast that tells the true and incredible story of a toddler who was framed for murder. Listen to Burden of Guilt on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The system's broken. I said, something's wrong here, you know, whenever a woman's allowed to kill my two kids. Unrestorable is a new true crime podcast that investigates the case of Catherine Hoggle, a mother accused of murder. Despite signs that Catherine Hoggle took her tiny children one by one into the night, never to come home again, she has yet to stand trial. Listen to Unrestorable on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear the show completely ad-free, subscribe to the iHeart True Crime Plus channel, available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. Plus, you'll get ad-free access to dozens of hit true crime shows, like Paper Ghosts, Betrayal, and The Idaho Massacre. Hey guys, Britt and Laurie here from Life Uncut Podcast. We are the number one dating and relationships podcast in Australia because we do things different down under. We cover everything from dating, sex, relationships, and pop culture. We chat with a lot of experts about things like love, cheating, narcissists, because we both dated one, long distance, fertility, communication, and breakups. And we talk to some people you might be familiar with, like Rebel Wilson, Matthew Hussey, Stephen Bartlett, Joanne McNally, and Mark Manson. You can join us while we unpack it all by searching for Life Uncut now, wherever you get your podcasts.
you're going to die. I guess I should have softened that a little. Someday you're going to die. We all are. I'm Kyle McMahon, and after my mom passed away, I went on a journey to talk with the world's foremost experts on death and grief for my new series, Death, Grief, and Other Sh** We Don't Discuss. From conducting a seance to talking with near-death experiencers and everything in between, I hope you'll join me on that journey. And you should probably do it soon, because who knows how long you're going to be around. Death, Grief, and Other Sh** We Don't Discuss. Available now on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.